0: There's something powerful about drawing a circle to help people who are currently the, the phrase is living above place, like they're, they're living without any meaningful connection to the people in place right around them, helping people move from a posture of living above place to really be embracing and naming, this is where
1: I live. Welcome to this week's Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons on Faith Radio. I'm Paul Perot with Gabe, and this week we're returning to a conversation about loving our neighbors well, specifically those in our neighborhoods. We talked this past summer with Tony Cook of The Hopeful Neighborhood Project, and you can find that podcast at MyFaithRadio.com on the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons show page. But today, Gabe, you're going to talk with Tony's friend Don Everts about a new book called The Hopeful Neighborhood Project. What happens when Christians pursue the common good?
2: I really like that name, Gabe. That sounds hopeful, right? That's, That's good news right now, The Hopeful Neighborhood. What happens when Christians pursue the common good? And you know here at Q, that's what we care about, is how do we advance good for all? people, no matter what their political ideologies are, no matter where they fall on specific issues, no matter what they look like, no matter what they believe, whether they think the way we think or not, that we have to care for all people. We have to care for our neighbors. And the future in American life is going to be who can do that best, who can really care for our neighbors, who can genuinely connect with them in an authentic way, a vulnerable way that that truly helps them and all people around us understand that we as people who follow Christ love them, care for them, want to meet needs, want to bring people together, want to solve problems. And so in a time like this, I felt it would be helpful for us to step way back and listen in on this conversation.
1: Yes, let's do that. Here's Gabe's conversation with Don Evers.
2: Providentially, over the last, I know, two years, you've been working on sort of this message about the hopeful neighborhood. And, man, I can't imagine anything more relevant for us to be talking about today then bringing it back local yeah. and going, what can I do about the things that are closer to my world, you know, my local context?
0: That's right. And having n- not just a message of hope, but a message of hope about something that's real and that we can actually affect, yeah. you know, so- something that we, we can make a difference today.
2: We get caught up in the national election and the yeah. news and the media and the stories happening all over the place, and it can be all-consuming. And of course, social media makes that become even even more of a thing in our lives, but if we're not thinking locally, if we're not really dialing into like our own community our own friends our own families around us our neighborhoods our community our city and really thinking at this local level then I think we're we're actually missing the main thing we have agency over and that's what I love about what you're exploring here is how do we think about our neighborhood so let's let's just start with you defining what what is the neighborhood these days because I know there's all kinds of definitions, but define it the way you do.
0: Sure. So a neighborhood is the place where you lay your head at night and the people around you. There's a variety of ways we could look at it, but we're thinking hyper-local, right? So this is you, the streets around you. Uh, Generally, there's an agreed upon, right? The people who live in a neighborhood tend to have a sense like, yeah, this is our neighborhood, whether that's a suburban subdivision, whether that's an urban block, or whether that's like a rural zip code. So it can vary, and it varies a whole bunch, but it's sort of self-defining, right? The people in a neighborhood are like, yeah, this is our place. These are the people that I live right around, the people in place where I lay down at night.
2: Yeah, and I know that is different. I mean, if you're in a rural area, that looks a lot different than if yeah. you're in New York City. We we used to be in New York City, and I remember we would talk about you know, how, how the Catholic Church would kind of break up a city into parishes, and I know in New York it was like every six blocks. Yeah, you would basically look at where you were, and you would look at six blocks around you, and go, "Okay, this is the parish." that I live in, that I'm responsible to. And, you know, of course, when you break it up on a grid like New York City, it's pretty easy to sort of break it down and go, okay, this yeah. is it. This yeah. is the shopkeepers. These are the restaurants. These are the workplaces, yep. the religious gathering spots and it and the parks. And it, and it starts to make it simple. I do think as we move out into suburbia, into rural, it starts to get a little more complicated. And, and I think just framing it in that way of, hey, here, here's my community. These are the people I'm doing life with, the people I'm crossing paths with at the coffee shop, at the yeah. restaurants that I frequent. Like, these are the People that are part of my life, and talk talk a little bit about what do you think is possible for us as human beings to just sort of have in our mind's eye these communal relationships. How big of a number is the ideal number of people?
0: Yeah, I mean, that, and the tricky thing about that is it does vary. So, so giving a single number may work in an urban environment, but not in a suburban, etc. And and so I think it has to do with, I mean, you said something key: the people that you rub up against in your normal rhythms of life. Right. So so it's people that you you actually recognize them. You may or may not know their name, but you know them. You both know that you belong there, if that makes sense. And so it's kind of this orbit around where you live and knowing the you know, who are the shopkeepers and who are the people who live there and who are the. uh, So even in a spread out rural area, sometimes rural communities are better at this because there's not as much commuting. There's not as many visitors. But they know when someone new's in town.
2: <laughs> right, right.
0: And, and, and they know who is from there. So, so it's a little hard to define it, but what, but what I think is powerful is helping people kind of draw that map and, and think about their own orbit. What's the place and people who are right around me? That, that concept of parish actually is a pretty powerful one because it, it brings with it a sense of naming and claiming this is my place. And the Christian perspective on parish has always been, and we're kind of like God entrusts yeah. everyone within this orbit to us, whether that's the people, whether that's the the businesses, whether that's the systems, the, the schools, the institutions, whether it's the creatures, the animals, the cows, mm-hmm. you know, the pets, yeah. et cetera, the trees, the parks. There's something powerful about drawing a circle. And as I've been doing work with the Hopeful Neighborhood Project, which is stemming out of this research I was writing about. We even have to do training to help people who are currently – the phrase is living above place. like they're, they're living without any meaningful connection to the people in place right around them. Helping people move from a posture of living above place to really be embracing and naming, this is where I live this place matters to me and I matter to it. And and that seems to be the key thing.
2: And it takes on a meaning for a Christian that might be, you know, different than other people might think about it. I mean, this idea of the priesthood of all believers, like that we yeah. see ourselves in partnership with God as a priest that has responsibility for a parish. And so in some ways, yeah. parish, neighborhood, I love the concept that we don't just get to tuck away in our own home, our own business, and think and isolate. Like, we don't get that. We, we have to do more than that. We have to care about more than that. We have to care about the flourishing of everybody around us, whether they believe what we believe or don't. Now, this project, I mean, you've been a part of a larger project called the Hopeful Neighborhood Project, and now yes. this book's released. And David Kinneman was a part of it. He's a good friend of mine, mm-hmm. and we've written several things together. But he wrote the foreword for this book, which I loved. And you also did a bunch of research for this yes. project that I think yes. our listeners would love to hear. Just give us some of those high-level findings in your research about the perception of Christians, yeah. about the way in which Christians are thinking about the common good. Just just yeah. hit me with some of those big factors, and then we'll talk about them.
0: Yeah, so one really big one, I think the most revealing statistic— Given the fact that for since the advent of Christianity, Christians have been known as people who pursue the common good, they've had a reputation as people who care about the people in place right around them. So one of the revealing findings when people were asked who is best suited to help solve problems in the community, Christians have such a reputation problem right now that non-Christians in the U.S., when, when you just ask non-Christians this question, who's best suited to help solve problems in the community, they have more faith in the government community members, charities, and businesses than they do for churches and Christian organizations. So that's one high-level finding, that that if people trust the government to solve the problems in their community more than churches and Christian organizations, that's very sobering. It was also sobering to find out that almost no pastors list civic engagement as a top priority in their church, and very few list community engagement as a top priority. So, So churches aren't talking about this, promoting this, preaching this, like they have for 2,000 years.
2: Hey, let's Are park we... for a second on these couple, Yeah, okay. these couple, on the sobering ones? <laughs> yeah, because I mean, I think they, they're, they should give all of us pause. I mean, you go back, yeah. you mentioned it historically, Christians caring about the common good has always been part of our history. I know as I was learning about, because, you know, at Q, one of our taglines used to be ideas for the common good. And yeah. it was really about re-educating Christians, because it seemed like over the last hundred years... We'd lost sight of our, our horizontal relationship here with the community. It was all about vertical, about heaven, about getting people saved, escaping this world. And part of our mission has been, let's re-educate and reorient Christians to our history, that we care about the common good. And, and even getting into the definition of the common good, You know, going back to uh, Aristotle and Aqu- Aquinas, who kind of formed this this thought that the common good is not just what's good for the most people, it's what's good for all people. And and so Christians have a big responsibility to care about every single person in the community. We don't just get to care about the church. We, we should care about our neighbors. Um, and so to hear that, man— People don't see the church as caring at all about that. And then to see that the church and priorities from it in this research is, is like civic engagement. Is, is, we're not talking about is, it. Yeah, and, and, and we wonder why our churches uh, have less people interested in church or less interested in, in formally being a part of our institution because there's a hypocrisy in that if we're not caring for the community.
0: Yeah, and we're perceived—I mean, it's, it's part of why in the book, not only do I kind of go over the research and what the findings tell us, but I also plumb back into the biblical narrative, you know, from the creation mandate when humans are created to take care of the place they're in, uh, all all the way through the Old Testament, the New Testament, God's mandate for his people, that they seek the welfare of the city, that they promote the common good, to, I mean, from the teachings of Jesus, right? Pe- people will see your good deeds and they'll give glory to your Father in heaven. So I explore that and then also just the rich church history where <laughs> – people were still doing that, right? Christians talked about it. The earliest preachers, they talked about this, that the highest form of following Jesus is pursuing the common good. That's the language that they had. And so part of what the research is doing is maybe it's a wake-up call. I, 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 that, that's my hope, is that the research provides a sort of look in the mirror that says, man, we've lost this like vibrant, important key part of what it means to be God's people and what our place in society and as citizens and as neighbors is supposed to be. And you look at the divisiveness around us. What a time in history for Christians to reclaim this beautiful, bridge-building, hopeful God-given mandate to pursue the common good. And it's
2: going to take work. I mean, this isn't one of those yeah. things. You don't change perceptions by some new brand campaign. It, it, <laughs> yeah, it right. changes by people having a different experience with Christians, a different experience that's with their it. local church. That, that's not what they're thinking it's going to be, and it kind of shocks them, and they go, Wow these people really do care about yeah. me. They care about my needs. They don't just care about me showing up at their church or me becoming a Christian. They care about what what we're doing here. It does remind me too, I mean, just thinking historically, because I think so many of us are looking back now and trying to, you know, go back and understand what did the history of the church look like in its best moments and yeah. How do we reimagine that in the season that we're in right now? But but one of the great moments, I mean, you think about monasteries when you look at where these monasteries were located, many times in their communities, they were life-giving. Like, people yeah. people started yeah. to settle around monasteries because the monasteries were providing life for the community. They were gardening and providing food and vegetables. They were a place that was bringing religious life into the community. They, they were there to bless the people who were there. They were there to welcome in strangers and care for people and give them a place to stay. Um, and I think when we revisit some of those stories, it just helps us to to remember, okay, that's that's this vision of the Christian faith coming into a community and bringing light and flourishing and, and life. And people are just drawn to that. Yeah. Whether they believe what you believe or not, they, they can kind of with common sense go, this is good for our community.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, the beautiful picture of this is in the early church where you have in the early generations of the church, you have these deadly pandemics and how Christians responded to that with self-sacrifice and serving their neighbors grabbed the attention of the people around them. And an argument can be made. That's why the church grew. Uh, one, one of the early uh, writers, Christian writers, described uh, it as eloquent behavior, that Christians had eloquent behavior. In other words, their behavior was a message that was compelling.
2: Yeah, and I know some of the early writings about that time, you know, describe how when these plagues would come, you know, in Rome, for example, it seemed like the doctors and and those who could have cared for people left, like they kind of ran for the hills, and it was the Christians that stayed in the cities, fed people, you know, water, bread, some just real basics that can nourish their body. And many people recovered, many people died, many Christians died in the process, but those who recovered clearly knew who had cared for them and were ministered to and came to know Christ. And and that's the way Christianity just started to boom within that civilization. So it's certainly in these moments of crisis, moments of misunderstanding, where we have to lean on this much larger view than just our current moment. And we have to bring to bear on this moment what God's love looks like within our Communities. Jump a little bit into some of the research that was more positive, where you thought, man, yeah, sure. this is hopeful, because we're talking about the Hopeful yeah, Neighborhood yeah. Project, right? <laughs> That's so right. What's the hopeful opportunity we have?
0: Well, I'll give you a few examples. Uh, so, so we asked people, is there anything in your community that you feel Christians could make a positive contribution in dealing with? And people said yes, and and, and, and they had lists of what those things were when Christians were asked about using their like professional gifts and their skills that their practical skills that they have, most Christians wish they could better connect their like practical professional skills and abilities with their faith. And and they don't see a way of using it within the church environment, but churches aren't necessarily helping them realize, boy, here's, you know, you're, you're good at plumbing. Oh my gosh, you could, Totally bless your neighborhood uh, in that way. So Christians are hungry for that. Uh, and then also, interestingly, pastors overwhelmingly prefer lay initiatives. When, when pastors are being asked about, you know, how do we address problems in the community? How, how do we make a difference in the community? Most pastors believe that lay people just taking the initiative where they live is, is the more hopeful and helpful way of going. So yeah. one final one I would say is that we found that people who are doing this, Christians who are pursuing the common good, testify that it helps them grow closer to God. So if people feel this tension like, well, we at our church, we want to focus on, you know, nur- nourishing our faith and growing as Christians, not on making a difference in the community. That's actually a false dichotomy. The research tells us, That by giving your life away, by making a difference in your community, your relationship with God is enriched and and grows more vibrant.
2: Yeah, and I think there is just a complete misunderstanding in a lot of churches of how community even builds. I mean, we talk about community groups and let's build community. And many times the solution to that is sitting in a circle and talking to each other, you know, about a book (laughs) or something. And the fact is, community builds when you're working on things together, when you have projects to work on, when you have problems to solve, when you go out and spend that Saturday together serving uh, an elderly uh, woman who's a widow and needs help in her yard, in her garden, uh, painting her house, or you go serve that local school that's got a need they can't afford, but the church comes together and pulls their money together and says, we're going to clean the school and paint the school. You know, these are some of the ways we've seen churches over the years really start to engage communities to where the community itself says, please stay here. We need your help. We need, we need the people in your church to mentor our children after school because nobody's helping them with their reading. And so I, I've seen so many encouraging projects where churches are taking the lead on that, even community gardens. I mean, I think about a season sure, right now where yeah. where food supply is like a, a little bit of a question this year with COVID. And we, we at our recent Q had a, had a gentleman who leads helping churches re- reimagine their landscape. And how could all that grass that's sitting there be utilized <laughs> for a garden for the community? It gives elderly yeah. people people, something maybe to do and pour their time into and volunteer. Once they're retired, it's healthy. And then it also provides food for people. And and so there's all kinds of creativity, but if we just wait for the church to direct yes. it, I think this is your point. If we wait for the yeah. church to organize it, institute it, decide it's a church program, we'll be waiting forever. Yeah. And I think that's one of the good opportunities right now where the church is having to re-ask its questions. Um, who are we? Who do we serve? Why do we exist? Yes. Is it just about a Sunday morning meeting or something more? And I think in asking those questions now, this idea of release that you 're describing where we we really empower the people in our church to say, whatever burden god 's put on your heart, run after it. Tell us how to support you yeah. like with your, your volunteering, your time, wherever you 're going to partner we don 't need to recreate the wheel we need to be embedded in the community. And when we see that sort of thing happening, I mean there's a there's an excitement that people have an enthusiasm. They're proud of their church because they're showing up in the real issues of their community and their neighborhood.
0: And that's what's hopeful, right? I mean it's 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 win-win-win. Your faith is grown, your fellowship with other believers is is strengthened. The reputation of the church improves. You now have more relationships, trusting relationships with non-Christians in your life. You know, when when I do evangelism training, one of the major barriers that exists for a lot of Christians in sharing the gospel in word is that they don't have trusting friendships with non-Christians. Well, this is a perfect way to do that, right? Stand shoulder to shoulder with your non-Christian neighbors. This is something you can do with your non-Christian neighbors is pursue the common good, make a difference together in your neighborhood. That's why the Hopeful Neighborhood Project is being birthed by a Christian organization. But the project itself isn't explicitly Christian. It's for non-Christians as well, Uh, because as we stand shoulder to shoulder with people who are different than us, of different creeds or no creeds, not only are we making a difference together— we're bonding in a way that, if, if it's God's will, gives us an opportunity to not just share the gospel in deed, but also in word.
2: Yeah, and I think theologically sometimes people get a bit conflicted about this. I, I feel like you know, there, there's been a movement that that said, hey, to do good in the community— it also has to be followed by presenting the gospel message and making sure people are evangelized, right? Like in the same act, like if I'm going to rake leaves for my neighbor— We, we
0: can't leave until we—yeah, yeah. We, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and this,
2: this guilt that goes with it that also creates all kinds of awkward, weird conversations that I'm not sure really advance— what our heart is for that, and, and some of it's just poor teaching, poor theology, yes. to not understand that God's glorified when you go serve your neighbor. Like, that brings glory to God, right. and there might be a great opportunity to share why you're doing it, your motivation, or to begin a friendship that, that then leads to deeper conversations. But we put so much pressure on the service— that uh, you know i remember john stott you know over in england who who talked about this and and he talked about how both evangelism and uh, these like uh, common good projects are like perfect dance partners like y- you need both of them yeah. and yeah. and it's not about 50-50 it's like a good marriage where in a good marriage you know both spouses give 100% you, you don't go hey my wife gives 50% and i give 50 then it's a good marriage and he and he was making the point that evangelism that's 100% of our responsibility as christians and and you know what else is? So, so are these common good projects. That's 100% of what God's called us to do. We're supposed to do both yeah. and trust the Holy Spirit to move and, and not be ashamed of any of it. We, we should be bold when yeah. the Spirit calls us to describe sure. why we do what we do. But I, I think for too long, a lot of Christians have, have got caught up in this idea that, man, to do service without... Working in like the plan of salvation to right. the conversation means we're not serving God well. And I, I think you're right to take a long term view of let's build relationships, let's go work alongside people and start to build friendships and trust through those friendships. There's going to be the moments, there's going to be the crises, there's going to be the opportunities where people are asking the bigger questions. That's right. And now you've got a relationship of credibility where you can walk into that. I love how you conclude this book, this idea of this little patch of ground. Paint that picture for people um, bef- before anybody gets overwhelmed with what we're talking about. Let's let's, right. <laughs> let's kind of help them see like how this is possible for all of us. And I especially think in this moment, this week, this will really be hopeful for people.
0: This little patch of ground, I mean, to think hyper local, you know, what's on the news is, is the global, the national, all those things. The reality is we're called to make a difference by God in the place where he's put us. So the encouragement is for people to say, just draw a circle around you and some of the people in the place around you, and just look at that. Spend some of your time just thinking about the place where you are, because God actually calls individual Christians and congregations to make a difference right where they are. And that, right, you can look at your few neighbors, you can look at the few businesses, you can look at what are some of the gifts that exist in this place right around me, That is very doable. As you said earlier, we have agency because people want community members. People are open to people who live in the community to make a difference. They may not be as open to churches or Christian organizations doing it, but they trust members of the community. So just for people to capture the vision of, you know, maybe this is the age of the Christian neighbor. People will trust you because you live near them. And so that's a place where we can make a small difference and doesn't even have to be huge. Start to get to know your neighbors. Yeah. Start to get to know some great possibilities that you could pursue for the flourishing and well-being of you and your neighbors. Yeah,
2: and I, I really do think – we talked with Rod Dreher on a, a recent episode of the podcast. He He talked a lot about the future being built around community and local community and working together and forming these common bonds and contributing to the local economy and – I think our world is is moving to this place even as it yes, feels more global yes. globalized. There's also this sense of going more local, take responsibility for this parish and for helping those within it to flourish. Well Don, I'm just grateful for you taking the lead on this project over the last couple of years. I think the timing is just remarkable. Talk a little bit more about where people can go to learn more, to be inspired, to hear the stories.
0: Yeah, I mean, we are we're launching an entire uh, nationwide uh, collaborative network of neighbors who are using their gifts and the gifts of their neighbors to pursue the common good. So, people want to find out more information. People can just go to hopefulneighborhood.org uh to to see how we're launching all of those resources, those tools. And in an age when we can be frustrated, man, why can't we get along and it feels so divisive? Boy, we actually get to make a difference and get along and be hopeful right where we live.
1: This is Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, and that was Gabe's conversation with Don Everts of the Hopeful Neighborhood Project. And as Don said, Gabe, there's a lot of great information and tools on how to do things like a neighborhood gift assessment and more on their website, hopefulneighborhood.org. It's really a great site, Gabe.
2: And also, go get his book, The Hopeful Neighborhood, What Happens When Christians Pursue the Common Good. David Kenneman wrote the foreword. It's got a lot of research in there, and those of you who are part of Q, you know how much we love analyzing the research, making sure we are talking about true things uh, that we can look at scientifically. And that's what this book does. It's going to give you some great insights. And they also have a field guide, a lot of other things that will help you really think well about this neighborhood moment. And I think if we look at 2021 and we start to think about it as, what does it mean for me to be leading in my neighborhood, in my local community? I think that conversation is going to be one that's at the fore for a long time. So this is going to give you a head start as we look for solutions that start to bring people together. I hope you have a wonderful week.
1: Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Thanks again for listening. Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at MyFaithRadio.com.